Welcome to Studio of the Future. 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 We had an eerie board meeting, the Philharmonic board meeting. So I told someone on the board, you've got to go to this tapas place. It's unbelievable. They had great, great food, support it, let's go. So the, the board meeting went, it happened, 5.30, it was dismissed. And this older woman that was on the board, she came over to me and said, welcome, Mr. Bay, I'm so glad you're with us, and I think you'll love the city, but you should know that you're going to be very famous in this town, and people will, will talk about you and watch you. I go, great, that's so nice. And she just kind of looked at me like, I don't get it. Um, I said, sure, sure. Well, I'm happy to represent the Philharmonic. She said, precisely. I said, ma'am, what do you mean? She said, well, if you go to topless restaurants, <laughs> you got to be really careful who you tell. <laughs> no. It's the oh, honest no. truth. And what did, how did you respond to that? Did you? I mean, because that made me want to laugh. Did I've never been to one, and I don't think I'd eat if I went to one. But I uh, meant a tapas, T-A-P-A-S. She says, "What's that?" Well, let me introduce who you are. This is so exciting. We're together. Um, I'm thrilled, I've Sarah. You, I've known you. Um, it's close. Sixteen to, years, right? Sixteen years. I think. Eo was two. So yeah. Was yeah. Yeah. You called me out of the blue and wanted me to come have lunch with you, and I thought, what? That was really nice of you. Absolutely. And that's because when I arrived in Austin 20 years ago, I heard all about you from various people. Some of the younger people in the symphony had been to your concerts. Really? And said, there's a fabulous singer-songwriter mm. in, in Austin, and you need to go here. And if you can, meet her sometime, because she, she does a lot for this community. And Aww. I thought, perfect. That's the perfect person I want to meet. And then you came to my tapas restaurant. We had a great meeting. <laughs> um, okay, so y'all, y'all listening out there, let me let me say what's up because it's, this is a good day. This is a good day. Our studio of the future guest today is conductor Peter Bay, and I didn't intend for that to rhyme. Who is currently enjoying his twentieth year with the Austin Symphony. Maestro Bay has appeared with seventy-five different orchestras around the globe, including the National, Chicago, Houston, Bochum, Germany, as well as the Lithuanian and Ecuadorian National Symphonies, the Rhode Island Philharmonics, and the Theater Chamber Players of the Kennedy Center. In addition, Maestro Bay has been the music director for the Erie Philharmonic, the Annapolis Symphony Orchestra, the Breckenridge Music Festival, the Brit Festival Orchestra, and enjoyed posts with the Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra and Richmond Symphony. Not only is he a keen, energetic, and admired <laughs> leader for Austin Symphony, you like my adjectives? I, I love keen. I haven't heard that in a while. Yeah, that, I, that came to mind when I was thinking about you. Peter is the primary conductor for Ballet Austin as well. He has appeared in Solo Symphony, a choreographic work created for him by Allison Orr of Forklift Danceworks. In 1994, he was one of two conductors selected to participate in the Leonard Bernstein American Conductors Program, and this weekend, he is overseeing Leonard Bernstein's Mass, celebrating the centennial of this legendary composer and conductor. Maestro Bay will be overseeing 300 people, artists, musicians, dancers, all coming together for two fully staged performances of Bernstein's most epic work. 
So welcome to Studio of the Future. My gosh, Sarah, that was quite an introduction. <laughs> I'm sorry we've run out of time. Well, and I know I edited it. It, it, it listed like every oh, single well. symphony you've been with. And I was like, well, how many should I list? <laughs> <laughs> that was more than enough. Thank you for the lovely introduction. And I'm so happy to talk to you. Well, I'm surprised you're not exhausted. I mean, how do you, how, how have you performed in so many symphonies around the world, not just in well, the United States? Well, I'm 61 now. You are? And, yeah. You look like you're like 42. Well, music either, well, music ages a lot of people, but for me, it keeps me young. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I'm really lucky. I've had these opportunities to travel, to work with other musicians, and it's just, it's a blessed life. Mm-hmm. And here I've been in Austin 20 years now, and still discovering new avenues to make music. And, and you mentioned this weekend's project. This is a project of mine that I, I started dreaming about literally 46 years ago. When you were 14 and you actually got to see the mass, was it the first production? It was. So it opened, I forget the day, in September of 1971. This was the opening work for the Kennedy Center in oh D.C. I grew up there. I couldn't go opening night, obviously, because that's when all the dignitaries mm-hmm. and so forth went. But the fourth performance I saw, and I was so taken by the piece, the music, what it what it all represented, uh, as far as an eight, a fourteen year old could take in, mm-hmm. and I just dreamt about one day getting to conduct the piece and. Here we, it's finally happening, and I don't think it's. It hit me a little bit as the rehearsals have gone on bit mm-hmm. by bit, but to see it all in the theater and last last night was the first time to see it all. It it just uh, was very overwhelming, a very emotional moment. And as we're taping, I'm about to launch into another four hour rehearsal tonight. How did this come about? And is this your first time to? It's the conduct? first time. It may be the last time, which is why I'm cherishing every second of it. It's, it's a massive project. As you mentioned, there are about 300 people involved. It is a staged work, very much like an opera would be mm-hmm. or a Broadway show. Um, money had to be raised. And if you can imagine 300 people involved, already the dollar signs go up quite a bit. Uh, we, everything was started from scratch. We hired set designers, stage managers, musicians. Um, you have dancers, right? Dancers from Ballet Austin are participating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, the African Children's Choir. Yes, coming, right? they've come all the way from Uganda. I know you're very fond of them, mm. and uh, we have a mutual friend who has made this happen. And um, we had to raise all the money. When I say we, I start with my wife, who is, uh, sh- her full name is Mila Sarah Jane Daly. She goes by Sarah Jane. I told her about this project when we were first dating, that's 14 years ago. And she thought, wow, that's a great dream of yours. You know, and and many years passed. Uh, I saw the centennial of Bernstein looming. This was two years ago, mm-hmm. which would be this August. Would be, he would have been one hundred years of age, and I thought, well, what can I do to celebrate my men, my hero? Mm-hmm. This is the guy I who made me become a conductor. And mass was the thing that came to mind, but I just had no idea how we were going to raise the money for it. So I talked to her, she talked to a few friends who talked to other friends, and it became a word-of-mouth thing. And she managed to start a company w- whose primary goal initially was to raise the funds for Mass and to produce it. Wow. To organize the sets and all of mm-hmm. that costumes. She did it with the help of uh, uh, ambassadors. Mm-hmm. Her friends who were called ambassadors, they raised all the money. 
Amazing. And we did little, what I call informances in private homes throughout Austin, in San Antonio, in Houston, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, even talked to some folks in Sydney, Australia, when we were there last year about the project. Mm -hmm. And um, everyone just came on board because they loved the, the collaborative aspect of it. There's hardly anyone that's coming from out of town. Now, you mentioned the African Children's mm -hmm. Choir. Obviously, they're coming from out of town. And there are about two or three, maybe four singers who have flown in from out of town to participate. But I'd say 90% of the cast and crew are right here in Austin. And I couldn't be prouder of our city for hosting and having all these people here. And this is... As you were saying, this is a really big production, and it's very rare to get to put this on, right? How many are there other companies around the United States right now celebrating the centennial as well, or is Austin one of the few? Well, in this way, I mean, uh, practically every orchestra and and uh, opera company in the United States is celebrating Bernstein's music in one way or another, but there are very few who are putting on mass. I know of one production that took place this calendar year in Los Angeles with the Philharmonic, but they did not fully stage it. In other words, mm -hmm. they did not have the orchestra in the pits, sets specifically uh, designed for their production. They used the stage of the Disney Hall mm -hmm. as the as the set, wow. basically. Now there was dancing and some costuming, but we've built sets. And I was told yesterday that this is the largest set that has ever sat on the stage of Dell Hall at the Long Center. It's wow. the largest set that's ever been built on that stage. I just keep saying, wow. I need to, I need to find some You know, other I did wows. <laughs> I've done wows for 46 years. Like every time I hear this piece, it, mm -hmm. it's just, it either makes me well up a little bit or it just sends chills up my spine. It's such a moving, powerful piece. You know, I, I just listened to it for the first time on Friday. I was driving and uh, it was the BBC's. Uh, oh, from the proms. Yeah. So moving. Um, and I, I knew that there was contemporary mixed with Latin and, and jazz and rock and classical. Um, but when they're singing, I don't know, mm -hmm. you know, and when they're talking about um, God is small, especially the youngest singer was a little boy. Yes. Is it a little boy for this production? It is. Too? Young Jacob Baird, he's 10 years of age. And he, he's got it memorized just as uh, everyone in the cast is, except for the, there's a, a adult stationary choir, liturgical choir, who, who will use music. Otherwise, everyone on stage has memorized the roles. Um, there are several interesting aspects to this piece. First of all, uh, Leonard Bernstein was Jewish, and he selected a Roman Catholic mass as the setting for this non-liturgical work. It is, it's based on the Roman Catholic Mass, but it was never meant to be performed in a church. It was meant to be performed in the theater, which is, which was already very controversial. Um, I've learned from a number of, of uh, friends, uh, Neil Blumoff for one, mm -hmm. who's a rabbi here in town, you know, he's reminded me that part of the Jewish faith is always to ask questions. And sometimes those questions are directed to God, and we don't always get answers right away. So when you say that when like God is small or the, the, there are members of the congregation who question God and they question their own faith, that's somewhat part of the Jewish uh, tradition. Tradition and education. But this was also this the work was written during the Vietnam War and Bernstein was a, a, a lifelong pacifist and he did not understand why 
the Nixon administration, and I guess the the well started with the Kennedy administration and Johnson administration. Why we were spending billions and billions of dollars on warheads mm. when we could have spent that on education, uh, arts uh, appreciation, you know, uh, peaceful, mm-hmm. peaceful things. So when he wrote the work, there was a lot of questioning of people's faiths, mm-hmm. and um, throughout the mass. While it starts in a very, very celebratory way, even with a marching band, and I mean that literally, mm-hmm. um, as the work goes on, more and more individuals during their songs sing about various aspects of their faith, which are questioning. They question God, and pretty soon the entire congregation is really upset. It becomes a cacophony. Like yes. I was amazed at just how many different elements are going on, which in a second I want to ask you, how do you conduct all these things going on? But please continue. Well, as you mentioned, towards the end, um, the, the movement, well, in Latin Mass would be the Agnus Dei. The, the words, grant us peace, are the final words of that particular prayer. And this becomes kind of a rock and roll freak out. The, the rock band is churning away with this groove and in, individual singers are starting to really be upset. And the whole stage is wrapped up in, in a rock and roll freak out until the celebrant of the mass, the priest, if you want to call him, the celebrant gets so upset he takes the chalice and he throws it to the ground and breaks it into pieces. And then he launches into a 15-minute soliloquy called Things Get Broken. And the broken... One of the broken things is him. He is now emotionally breaking down. And um, to see him question his own faith and question God, it's really the dramatic and emotional climax of the piece. And he, he basically falls, it doesn't fall to the ground, but he eventually becomes a crestfallen, is on the floor until um, two two of the young children from the choir come from off stage on stage and they eventually raise up the other members of the congregation who have all fallen to the floor everyone has collapsed and it's the it's the idea of having young people be the hope and to raise up our own hopes and goals and faith um, that's a, an idea that was very touching in 1971 and I don't know if sadly is the word, but maybe fortunately, it's still up to young people mm-hmm. now to raise us up. The mighty can fall. Even a priest mm-hmm. who is dedicated to God can fall and have human frailties. Mm-hmm. Yet it's it's innocent children who are our hope. Mm-hmm. And that's the message of Mass, I think. No matter how much we question Authority. We question our faith. We question religious leaders. It's re- our hope is in young people, mm-hmm. and they raise us up. And the work ends in a in a beautiful with a beautiful hymn, chorale, Almighty Father, mm-hmm. incline thine ear, mm-hmm. um, and then the celebrant is back up on his feet, and he says, "The mass is ended. Go in peace," and that is it. Just sitting here with you and hearing you describe it is very moving. To I can, I, I know you're a passionate person, but to hear how much you love it and and to come full circle like that, like you said, to be 14 and see uh, Bernstein 
performing and he was a very energetic performer, uh, conductor. And now you get to follow in his footsteps and conduct it in your own way. And what is the parallel between the two of you? Do you feel like you, what's your own style or do you think you've developed something off of his style that you saw early on? Well, he, you know, I saw him on TV when I was nine and there was something about his energy on the podium when he was facing the orchestra and conducting the music. He seemed to embody every every second of the music physically. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he'd even be jumping up and down on the podium based on the, the excitement of the music. Then when he turned around and talked to the young people in the audience, um, he did so without talking down to them. In some ways, he almost used too many... Um, long words, and some of it, quite frankly, went over my head. Uh But it didn't matter. It was just the way he was talking to us like a rabbi or priest would be preaching the word. Mm -hmm. He was preaching the word of music and Mm -hmm. how exciting and interesting it is. And the people who wrote the music were exciting and and thrilling. And for some reason, as a nine-year-old, I seemed to get it. It was like poltergeist grabbing (laughs) me through the TV screen. And I just decided then I wanted to be like him. I think that's kind of where the parallels end. We both have uh, a passion for music, but he had so many more talents that I could never dream of having. Uh, He was a gifted composer, obviously. Um, He was an author. He was a poet. He was not only a good concert pianist, he was a jazz pianist too. Mm. He could play basically any standard pop tune that someone brought up. Um, he was the friend of every, I'd say every icon of the 20th century. I've seen pictures of him with the Beatles, with Michael Jackson backstage, with Alexander Solzhenitsyn, Boris Pasternak. Did he ever work with Frank Zappa? Did you ever? Work I don't with know Frank if Zappa? he ever worked with Frank Zappa, but he was close friends with Frank Sinatra. Well, there's a Frank. In, in fact, when <laughs> since this piece was written for the Kennedy Center, it was the work was also written in, in Kennedy's memory. When Kennedy was inaugurated the first time, Frank Sinatra was the organizer of the talent, and Bernstein was part of that talent, um, wow. along with Ella Fitzgerald, I believe, and, um, and maybe the rest of the Rat Pack were there. There was a, on PBS. There was a, a documentary film of the inaugural concert, which was initially lost by someone, but it has been found. And uh, Bernstein, I think, conducted a fanfare uh, when Kennedy entered. Constitution Hall, I believe Mm -hmm. it was in D.C. So Kennedy and the Bernstein, the Kennedy family, the Bernstein family were very, very close. Mm -hmm. And um, you hear that closeness in the music. When when, when JFK fell, um, it affected Bernstein to the utmost degree. And he was all too willing and happy to write this piece um, uh, after Jackie Onassis had asked him to. Mm-hmm. You didn't get to meet him before he, he passed in. I did. You did get to meet him? Oh, yes. Oh, Therein but- lies the story, too. So um, now I found this, the mass premiered in 71. I didn't meet him then. But five years later, he came to conduct the National Symphony, which is housed at the Kennedy Center. My best friend in high school uh, is a trombone player. And he, he told me that his grandfather was the personnel manager of the National Symphony. He said, are you kidding me? How can we go to see Bernstein rehearse? He said, no problem. I'll, I'll call Gramps and he'll arrange it. So we skipped school one day in January of 76 
and went to the Kennedy Center and the grandfather said, make sure you come to this door precisely at 9.45. I'll bring you to inside the hall. You'll watch the rehearsal. You come to this other door near the stage and I will take you back to his dressing room. What? Wow. What? I, yeah, I brought a score. I was just going to ask you, did you bring something? Oh for him yes, because he or? was performing uh, Chichester Psalms, another work of of his, on this concert. So I brought my score, and then I was ushered into the room. There were, I think, four or five other gentlemen in that room, and he had already changed out of his rehearsal clothes into a Japanese silk kimono. Kimono. Uh huh. I didn't know what that was about. It kind of freaked me out a little bit. He was smoking a cigarette where you're not allowed to smoke, but you know, you're not going to tell Bernstein not to smoke and sipping coffee. And so there were these five people in his entourage sort of hovered around. He was sitting on, on the couch and he goes, so are you the young maestro? I thought, oh my God, that's how he greeted me. I said, yes, sir. I'm so honored to meet you. You have no idea what you mean to me. And I, I probably blabbered on and uh-huh. he just sort of smiled. And he said, would you like a drag? No way. <laughs> yes. oh he, offered me, he offered me a cigarette and, his, and a coffee. And I, I, I said, I politely turned it off. Sorry, I don't smoke. And he said, well, by the way, how old are you? And I said, I'm 19. I'm 19. He goes, oi, 19, you're young enough to change your mind. I said, really? He said, yeah, the world you'll learn is filthy with conductors. (laughs) (laughs) You need a t-shirt that says that. (laughs) So he says, really, why do you want to do this? I said, well, because of you. I saw you on television and you've inspired me to become a conductor and I'm conducting the high school band. And he says, that's that's very sweet, but just be, be aware of how many of you there are that want to be conductors. It's hard work. You know, work your butt off and so forth. And he said, you have a score to Chichester Psalms? I said, yes. He said, let me have it. I'd love to sign it for you. So he signed um, Best Wishes, I think Best Wishes, Good Luck, Peter Bay, um, uh, Leonard Bernstein. Wow. And then, but between 1976 and 1980, I probably saw him rehearse 12 times the National Symphony, because he came back basically every other year to rehearse, to rehearse so, the National Symphony. Did you meet him again? Like, did you I build never, a relationship I, with I never him? talked to him after that. I think he waved, I waved to him, he waved to me. He always had a large group of people hovering as soon as the intermission in the rehearsal came, because for interviews or this or that, he was wanted everywhere. But in 1980, I got my master's at the Peabody Institute in Baltimore, which is a music school, so happens Bernstein was going to be awarded a George Peabody Medal by the school, and he was hired by Johns Hopkins, of which Peabody is part, to give the commencement speech mm-hmm. for my graduation. And I had just won the Baltimore Symphony Young Conductors Competition just a month or so before, and so I was invited to a dinner with 40 or 50 other people at a private home with Bernstein, the tables were all decked out with newspaper because he had asked for a crab feast. He wanted to <laughs> crack open crabs because Maryland, you know, right. Maryland's for crabs. So yeah. I sat next to the great man eating crabs. And what he was interested in talking about was not music, but word games. He was so into word games, you know, um, rhyming words, or I'm thinking of a word, it's five letters, the middle letter is T. And you had to go from there and try to figure it out. 
Perfect, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, watch. And we then do. he would say no. And then we had to figure out where his brain was going. So what does that have to do with anything? This work, Mass, has all sorts of puns in it based on the Latin text. Like there's there's a, a Latin phrase, veritatem tuam. Veri, veritatem is having to do with truth. Mm-hmm. So the, the two singers saying something, it's very, very, veritatem tuam. Like V-E-R-Y, very, very. Mm -hmm. And they sing it in a very catty manner. So their plays on words, he sings, the celebrant sings me, and not M-E, but M-I, like Mm -hmm. do, re, mi. Mm -hmm. And the guitarist plays an E on the guitar, me, me alone, me with soul, like do, re, mi, fa, sol. But me with soul, S-O-U-L, me, soul. Oh, my goodness. It's, there are all these... Puns and plays with words in the text. Well, and speaking of words, so I know that Paul Simon was also, uh, he went to Paul Simon and asked him to write something, and there's a great wordsmith right there. Exactly. So what aspect did Paul Simon bring to this mass? Well, that's a great question. Well, uh, if I can backtrack a little bit, um, Bernstein was was coming up against some hard deadlines, and he was struggling writing all the text himself. His sister, Shirley Bernstein... Uh, happened to be a theatrical agent for a very young, up-and-coming Broadway author-composer named Stephen Schwartz. Who was like 21, right? He was 21. Godspell had just opened, and Shirley said, Lenny, you have to come to Godspell. you got to see my client's piece. He said, no, I don't want to (laughs) go. She dragged him to Godspell, and Bernstein was so knocked out by the show uh, that he, on the spot, hired Schwartz to help him write the text. And that's why there's sort of Godspelly Jesus Christ superstar moments moments mm-hmm. in this piece. So Schwartz helped him write the text, but Schwartz, I think, was a friend of Paul Simon. Paul Simon had learned that Bernstein was writing this mass. So as a Christmas present, and it says so in the score, uh, this quatrain was donated to mass by Paul Simon, L.B., and the, the quatrain is, half the people are stoned and the other half are waiting for the next election. That's the first line. So, again, this is 1971. Here we are in 2018, mm. and these words are very timely. Sadly. Half the people are stoned and the other half are waiting for the next election. That's the power, the beauty of That's music. That's the beauty of words. Yes, all of it. Uh, do you feel like do you feel like um presenting this mass at this time in Austin uh, are a lot of young people going to get to see this you know they are and we're opening the dress rehearsal it's a ticketed event but um Sarah Jane has arranged with some very wonderful people to sponsor uh people uh, kids from the boys and girls club oh, and their families uh, especially from areas of town where they would not be able to afford the tickets. Mm-hmm. So they're being uh, given free tickets to come to this dress rehearsal. They'll be fed, um, and um, they'll get a chance to see the piece, uh, a piece that they probably would never have the chance to see. Um, we we thought that not only um, are the performances important, getting young people um, and as many people to see the piece as possible, because... 
You're not going to be able to record this, right? So Unfortunately, no. Because yeah, there's just uh, too many legalities to it. Exactly, and it costs a lot of money mm -hmm. to make a commercial recording from it. Um, I don't know if I'll ever get a chance the, the rest of my life to conduct the piece. It took a long time to get this done. Uh, the planning started about three years ago and in earnest two years ago. I, I really want Austin to embrace the piece as much as possible. It is a major event for the city. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a historic event for the city. Because it's the first time that all the major artistic uh, companies are coming together, correct? That's right. The so first time ever. dance, opera, symphony. Uh, three choruses have, uh, members of three different choruses have combined, uh, sorry, excuse me, they're Four. We've got Conspirari, Chorus, Austin, Panoramic Voices, Houston Tillotson, Texas State. I think we have a member of Texas State. Wow. So the five different adult choruses involved, three different children's choruses, of which one comes from Uganda. Uh, the entire crew comes from Austin. It's the first time all of these entities have collaborated on a single project. And you know, I want to I want to point this out. Um, from what you're describing, I can imagine the diversity in this mass. The one I saw on BBC, I was searching for diversity. Mm. There was one man of color out of the sea of white people. And I, it made me really sad because I was thinking, I don't know what the original Bernstein mass was like, but I'm going to assume he would have wanted diversity. In fact, the the dance company was Alvin Ailey's oh, company, go. and uh, the the lead dancer was Judith Jameson. Mm -hmm. I think Alvin Ailey and Judith Jameson are are uh, have been awarded the Kennedy Center Award Medal mm -hmm. as well as Bernstein. So there was a lot of diversity on that stage, and a lot of young people. Mm -hmm. um, 1971, flower power, <laughs> tie-dyes, mm -hmm. which are still in, in vogue, bell-bottoms, peace, love, peace stickers on everything. Are you going to be wearing bell-bottoms? No. I, are you no. wearing a typical tails or I'm going to wear my Nehru suit, which I normally <laughs> uh -huh. wear. Um, you'll, see, you'll see some dated costumes on stage. Um, you'll see some contemporary things. You'll see a little of everything. The piece is timely. Mm-hmm. And whereas some of the rock elements might sound dated, um, that's the way rock sounded in six, 69, 70, when he started writing the piece. And mm -hmm. um, I don't think the dated aspect has anything to do with it anymore. It's just the fact that it is a relevant piece. Yeah. We're, we're always questioning our faith. I think the day it becomes irrelevant would be a, an amazing day. I don't know that that day will come. I suppose it comes when we're longer breathing. Mm -hmm. But the rest of the world will continue, we hope. Mm -hmm. And Bernstein Mass will live on long after we're gone. Marty and I were talking before you got here, and I told him that you love vinyl. Yeah. And, uh, and you have this huge collection. And so it begged to um, ask this question. We were wondering... How outside of the box are you? Like, what what music would people Wait. not expect to hear that Peter Bay enjoys? I have, I think, I have representative music from every style, every style, and that that includes what my parents would have called elevator music, you know, or dentist <laughs> music's easy listening stuff. I love Esquivel, uh, Celia Cruz, which was fabulous Cuban singer. Uh, not on violin, but I have some rap. I have Missy Elliott at home. I have a lot of Sarah Hickman albums at home. <laughs> on vinyl, a sound effects records. Um, oh, man. All I of the Beatles records, LPs, 
Mo- and are these from your original instru- collection, or did yeah. you go out and find? Wow. Yeah. Uh, the Meet the Beatles, the first Capitol release. I still have that album. I, I kept good care of it, except I wrote X's next to the songs I liked the most. You know, one X for this boy. <laughs> Sorry, Ringo. And and four X's for I, I saw her standing there. Um, I have tons of vinyl, lots of rock. Well, I know you love Laurie bizarre- Anderson. That, Laurie that Anderson, was something we connected Zappa with. albums. Mm-hmm. Um, do you wish you could have worked with Zappa? I mentioned I him earlier. Do. But when I saw him on Saturday Night Live and he was conducting his Zappa orchestra, was that the Mothers of, Mothers of Invention? Yeah. yeah. Un- that was one of my favorite Saturday Night Live uh, musical moments ever. I mean, he's just so engaged and so prolific and so powerful. I, seeing the two of you together, because like I said earlier, you're very energetic too. It would be very interesting to see how you two would would combine your I, musical. I prowess. wish I had the opportunity. I'm, I'm lucky. At least I've met one of his former band members, who is Terry Bozio. Oh yeah, who still lives and here. He lives In fact, here. Yeah. he's playing at the One World Theater soon. He seems to play there a lot. Yeah. You maybe you could collaborate with him on something. I, we've talked about it. It's the question is how and um, the music that Zappa wrote. F- is so complicated and very contemporary sounding. It's not for your regular rock and roll crowd. It's more for your contemporary music crowd. Well, it's not even for your classical crowd. It's, no, you know. no, it's more the fringe crowd. The mm-hmm. people who go to Le Poisson Rouge in New York mm-hmm. City, mm-hmm. you know, fringe places. Mm. Uh, for us to play a Zappa piece on a symphony concert, we'd probably drive more than half the audience away. Could, would you be willing to do a smaller version, say, at One World Theater? Where you oh today? sure, mm-hmm. and if someone was willing to stage two hundred motels, which the, the the L.A. Philharmonic has done in a concert version recently, I'd I'd gladly do it. But it would probably have to be an independent production like Masses mm-hmm. for all you Zappa well, Jane, Zappa. She could get on it. She, if somebody can make it happen, it would be Sarah Jane. <laughs> I tell you what's going to happen with Sarah Jane. She's going to take a vacation after Masses over. A well deserved one. Yeah, indeed, yeah. indeed. And hopefully, you're going to take one too. Yeah, but frankly, I'm leaving two days later because I have a concert. They're leaving the 5th of July for Hawaii. They, and your I, son. My son Colin and Sarah Jane, they're leaving right after our 4th of July concert. But I have a Mozart concert with the Austin Chamber Music uh, Center oh. and Mich- Michelle Schumann, lovely Michelle, on the 6th of July. So I'm leaving the 7th. They're, they're going to be there two days before me. So hmm. See, they're not going to wait. You know, well, but you're all doing things you enjoy, so it works out and then it works out. So um, I have one last thing to ask you, and then we're going to let you go because we know you're a very busy fella. <laughs> um, and we really thank you for coming today. It's my and pleasure, Sarah. Anything for you. You're so kind. Every guest that comes on the show gets to ask a question to someone living that they would love to have or hear on this podcast. So is there someone that you would like to ask a question of that I could go out and pursue to come on the show and answer your question. Wow. Wow. Well, the first thing that came to mind was um, uh, I'd love to do a show with Sting. Would you be interested? That was the first thing that came to mind. But more recently, I I wanted to ask President Obama if he would come to Austin and sit down with me and, and figure out how we could produce some kind of a concert that has some real uplifting message to to give. But I wanted to do it in a collaborative way. Now that I see that he's collaborating with Netflix mm-hmm. and producing shows, I'd want to do a concert with him. Well, how about this? How about I ask Sting and President Obama and the three of you work together? 
Wouldn't that be powerful? That would that would almost <laughs> top this dream of producing mass. Now mm-hmm. we're gonna do mass. Mm-hmm. Now, sir, if you can come forward with this, I'll do my best. I'm gonna dedicate this that concert to you. The the Obama sting. The challenge has been put out there. There you go. I better follow up now. <laughs> well, um, terrific to have you here. Uh, oh. I know mass is gonna be fantastic. So looking forward to it and. Uh, Thanks also to Marty for putting yeah. this together today. And Pleasure is all mine, Sarah. I love you so much. You, you do so many things for this community and elsewhere. And um, bless you. Well, bless you and thanks. Thanks for tuning in to Studio of the Future. I'm your host, Sarah Hickman. Our guest today was Peter Bay. You can hear and see bonus content at studioofthefuture.org. Thanks to Marty Lester for engineering, mixing, and editing at Everywhere Audio in Austin, Texas. We'd like to thank the Peaceful Pelican of Palacios, Texas, for being a supporter of today's program. This historical three-story waterfront bed and breakfast is right on the bay, including spectacular views, homemade breakfasts, and a comfy place to relax. Mention this ad and you'll receive 20% off your first booking. Visit them at thepeacefulpelican.com. Until next time, keep your mind and your ears open. 